Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 14. We just slowly move our way through this book of Revelation. And I will remind us that at the beginning, John said to us, it will be a blessing to you if you read this. And the more I read, the more of a blessing it is to me. And it's really just a joy to be able to stand and and present God's Word. This is just God's Word. It's nothing to do with me. I try to stay out of the way and just present what the Bible says, the text says. And we try to make some kind of application to our lives. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked and beheld, or behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion. And with Him, 144,000 having His name and the name of His Father written on their forehead. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And a voice which I had I heard was like the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the, the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. And these are the ones who had not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the, the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth, and they are blameless. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this precious passage, these uh, saints that you want to draw our attention to. Lord, may we be encouraged today by what we see in this passage. I pray that then we would internalize this and it be a part of our lives as we apply it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is a picture of triumph. These five verses, a picture of triumph. Christ has, has uh, finally descended to the earth. He is down on earth now, and He is standing on the Mount Zion. And with Him are 144,000 saints. And they're the focus of this passage, these five verses. Now, I want you to know, you need to understand, that just seven years earlier, they were not in the picture. These are these were Jews had they had rejected Christ as their Messiah. They were not raptured up with the church. They're not part of the church at all. They are they were the unsaved seven years earlier. They had, like I said, rejected Messiah, rejected the truth of Scripture, but somehow, possibly by the the two witnesses that we looked at earlier that uh, were testifying around the temple, God opened their eyes. And it's an amazing story, amazing view, amazing picture here. He opened their eyes and through the power of the gospel, He changed them. In three short years, they were a powerhouse. A, pa- a powerhouse. And they were young believers and they were facing um, the world filled with, with demonic Demons and controlled by the Antichrist and deceived by the false prophet and and a world that was worshiping Satan. And they thrived. The Lord gave them 
success. And this is a picture of victory is, is great because right after the tribulation, a hard-fought battle of Armageddon, and they overcame. They overcame the darkness and the corruption and the blasphemy of the Antichrist. They overcame the, the deception and the tricks and the lies of the false prophet. They overcame the isolation and, and the persecution, rejection, and mere, and all the hatred of the world, those earth dwellers, the unsaved. These 144,000 have done well during that three and a half year period of time during the great tribulation. They've done well and God has given them success. And this is just a snapshot of the actual battle and the, the final accounting of this is found in Revelation chapter 19. We won't take the time to look at that. We will see that at some point. And it's when Christ comes and He establishes kingdom here on this earth. And He will reign for a thousand years. And these will reign with Him. And in this passage, we see these 144,000. They are faithful to God. They are faithful to Christ. And they are heroes. And it's almost like a a hero's welcome. Now, we've seen heroes in the past in, in Scripture They have exercised, we've seen Moses and Daniel and David and Abraham, and they've exercised great faith in very difficult times. And so have these. This is the future. This is in the future. And John is is recording this and has recorded for us this account here to remind us, I believe, a few things here. He wants us to understand that in the light of even being under the control of Satan, this world being under the control of Satan for this three and a half year period of time, that the gospel is still powerful. The gospel works even in the the harshest circumstances. We see the power of the gospel. We also see victory is sure. And that's what you need to take away from this. This This should be an encouraging passage to us. Victory is sure, and this is a this is a sharp contrast with what we've been looking at. But we see that Christ will return, and these hundred and forty-four thousand are placed in honor, in a, are in a place of honor, and are exemplars for Christians today. They're they're a good example for us. They're they're the perfect example in many ways for us today. Now the question is: is what makes them what makes them stand out? Why are, they, why are they in this place of honor? Why do they have this picture, kind of picture posted on the wall? I, uh, if you go into Sam's Club, um, on your way to where the bathrooms are, they have this big wall and it has all the veterans on there. And it's really neat to see those veterans, that wall. All these pictures, and some of them had died Some of them were maybe still alive, but it's just interesting because each one of them, you know, has a story. And that's why their pictures on that wall and they're veterans. They've gone through some battles, some difficulties and being used by our country to for our own protection. And what you see in this passage and and what we want to know in this passage is why these hundred and forty four thousand, why they stand out, what makes them get their picture on the wall, if you will. And the passage easily divides into three sections here. The first of all, we see the identity of this 144,000. And then the song, this victory song, really, of the 144,000. 
And then we have the the character of the 144,000. Let's look at the identity first. Who who are these who are these people? Verse one, he says, "I looked, and behold, behold." Now this is a, a stark contrast. This is a shift in the scene here. This is a dramatic emphasis. He's wanting us to to know this. Back in chapter 13, the world was under the control of Satan. It was worldwide worship of of Satan himself and the Antichrist and the false prophet. They had control. And all of a sudden, he, he sees this other vision and his attention shifts to this other vision. And it's so much more encouraging. And I believe John wants us to be encouraged. And the first thing he sees is this lamb. And he says, the lamb. Now, it's the lamb. It's not just a lamb, but it's the lamb. It's the lamb. And he was slain. Now, that should remind us, go back to uh, chapter 5. Because we need to understand who this lamb is. He is the lamb who was slain. Now, remember, in chapter 5, he's given us this scene in heaven. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book or a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals it was sealed and this loud angel cries out who is worthy to to take the seal or take this uh, scroll now this scroll remember was the uh, title deed of the earth who is worthy to take this title deed of the earth and, and open it and reclaim the earth and nobody nobody was worthy nobody out of all the worst world's population nobody was worthy except who Except the lamb. Verse 6. And I saw, behold, between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. Now this is Christ himself standing as if slain. um, Having seven horns and seven eyes. And this is talking about his perfection, the spirit of God. Verse 7. He came and he took that book, that scroll. That title deed of the earth, he had it out of his right hand, and he is ready to go and overtake the earth, or take the earth back. And he's finally here. And this is a dramatic scene. And you know what that uh, led to, verse 9, you see that maybe on the screen there. That he is, they, they break out in song. When he takes that scroll, they break out in song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seal. For you are slain, you were slain and purchased For God, with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and nation, or people from uh, every nation. That's the picture. This is the same uh, lamb. And he takes that, he takes that book and he's now on the earth and he is reclaiming the earth from, from Satan. What a wonderful picture. He's pictured as a lamb versus the Antichrist and Satan and the viciousness that we have just previously seen. This is a true lamb. This is, this is meekness, genuine, real meekness, humility, humility to the point that he humbles himself and he become a sacrifice and his blood was shed. He was slain. He was slain. And yet he resurrected. And, and his blood was slain. His, he was slain and his blood paid for the victory that we have here overcame because of that. Now, he's not seen as in the sea, as coming up out of the sea, is not seen as coming up out of the earth like the false prophet and the 
Antichrist, his feet are firmly planted on the earth. He is seen in the book of Revelation as glorified, exalted. He is the Redeemer, the Shepherd, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And he's standing now on Mount Zion, where he belongs. This is now his earth. He has reclaimed it. He is under control now. And he's got his 144,000 with him. The the temple, uh, the uh, Mount Zion... Uh, is kind of a generic term or general term. Specifically, it would be, if you want to pinpoint it, it would probably be the Temple Mount. It can be broadened out to include southern part of Israel in Jerusalem where the Temple Mount would be. But it probably even spreads out and would also include the whole city of Jerusalem and maybe even the whole nation of Israel itself. He has come down and now is able to reign. He is going to reign from the place that he needs to reign. And he has these 144,000 with him. This is him establishing his kingdom. And so the question then is, who are these 144,000? Why do they get their picture with him? Well, Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, they would say, well, that's us. We're the 144,000. I don't know what they say now. Now that they've grown over 144,000, I don't know what they do. It's a little crowded. Maybe they spiritualize it like many of the many people spiritualize this and say, no, you don't take 144,000 literally. Oh, it's just talking about symbolic for the whole church or symbolic for the tribulation saints. But I don't know that you need to do that. Some would say, well, these are just all the heroes of the faith, these these special heroes of the faith throughout all of the ages, all of history. Or maybe it's embodiment of all the saints. But why 144,000? Why put a, a, a number on it? Some would say, well, it's spiritual Israel. But I don't think so. There's really no reason to question who this is. If you turn back to uh, chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 3 gives us the answer of who these 144,000 is, who they are. Now, there's this angel that comes, verse 3, says, uh, and he says this, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their forehead. Remember what's on their forehead? The name of the Father uh, and the name of the Son on the forehead. And they're bondservants of God. These are special people. They're going to be serving the Lord here on this earth. They're going to be His remnant propagating the gospel. Look at this, verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, the same ones that were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. It is pretty clear here. These are the sons of Israel. In fact, he goes along and he gives each tribe and he says, now there's... 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, 12,000 from this tribe. And it's equal. All the tribes of Israel are, are uh, connected here and equal here. They are represented. And now, there's no reason to question. This isn't the church. There's no reason to spiritualize this. We could take this 144,000 literally. This is Israel. Now, remember, we just read in our... Tim just read for us in Romans chapter 11 that God will someday, He will save Israel as a nation. And I believe that this is the beginning of that. 
And he has this special team, if you will. They are actually referred to as men, or they're, we, uh, we, that's implied in the passage here. They're evangelists, they're spokesmen for God, um, and they're marked. And some would say that that's just God's possession of them, and that's probably it. They are possessed by God. They would, you would mark your servants if you had uh, servants. Uh, at that time, they would, it would show their loyalty and their witness for God during this tribulation period. But it also marks them out uh, as God's possession to not be killed. Uh, that's referred to here as well. And there's that implication in this passage. And why do they need that? Because they have a very hard job. They're going to be confronting an unbelieving world in the worst of the times. They're going to be calling people to repentance. They're going to be proclaiming the, the righteous judgment of God. So it's going to be a hard job that they have. Now, look at the success God gives them. God gives them some great success. Look at verse 9. If you're, if you're in chapter uh, Revelation chapter 7, look at verse 9. After these things. So he lists the 144,000. They are bond servants of God. 12,000 from each tribe. And then he... He notes their success in verse 9. After these things, I looked and behold, a great number which no one could count. So many of them. Just a sea of people. Nobody could count them. There were so many of them. Of the tribes, um, of every tribe. Now this isn't the Jews. This is just from every tribe and people, tongue, and standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. There's, this is their salvation. They are saved with palm uh, branches in their hands and they're crying out salvation. The Lord had given them salvation. They're praising the Lord for this. And Now look at verse 13. Then, now this is John was recording this and standing beside him was this elder. This elder turns to John and says, now, who are these people? And John says, Lord, you know, I, I don't know. And his reply is this, Middle verse 14. And he said to him, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. That three and a half year period of time. They've come out of it. And they have washed their robes and made themselves white in the blood of the Lamb. How did they know about the blood of the Lamb? It's this 144,000 evangelists that God had preserved, protected, and sent out. They were bondservants of God. And the result of this is a myriads of people in heaven worshiping God. And these are the ones who, who came out of that great tribulation time. The Lord gave this 144,000 success. Great success, actually. It's what we see here. Now... That makes us take note. Actually, whenever we see heroism, we kind of take note. And that's kind of what we see here. They took the brunt of the, the struggle with the beast and the Antichrist the, uh, and the false prophet, Satan himself, against them. And they showed that the gospel can prevail, even in the worst of times. A few weeks ago, we watched a movie. And it was about this gentleman who went into combat in World War II. His name was Desmond Doss. He actually was born in Lindsburg, Virginia. And 
he died in March of 2006. They made a movie about his life, and it's pretty interesting. He was in the army. He went into the army, but he said he wanted to be a conscientious objector. He says, I'm not going to carry a gun. I don't shoot weapons. And, and they thought he was crazy at first, and there was some struggle there. You know, of course, they would make it dramatic. And, and they allowed him to go into battle without, without, uh, without a weapon. And in the Battle of Okinawa, he finds himself on this ravine and, and there's this cliff and the battle is on top of the cliff and all of the U.S. military that was in that skirmish, they had to climb the cliff, fight the battle and they fought the battle and they had to pull back. They couldn't take it and so they had to pull back and, and many men were left up there and he was actually one of them behind enemy lines. And what he did... While he was there and under the cover of darkness most of the time, he would bring men to that cliff, to the edge of that cliff, and lower them down on a rope. And in that battle, he saved 75 men, 75 people in that battle in World War II. He's the only one, that only conscientious objector that won our Medal of Honor. He is a hero. And, and we put his picture up and we make movies about him. We take note. When we see heroes, we take note. And when we see this 144,000, we take note. We stop and we think about what they have done. There's something we can learn here. It's an amazing thing when we see heroism. In fact, in the story, what it did is it rallied the troops these troops, man, they didn't want to scale that wall and, and ta- retake, that, uh, retake that land. But you know what? They did. They said, if he'll go into battle with me, I'll go. Let's go. We could take this. And this guy inspired them. And they, he rallied the troops and they were able to go and, and win, ultimately win that battle. Now, this doesn't mean that these people are perfect. They were not perfect. They weren't super saints. Now, they were very good, but they were not super saints. In fact, they were young in the faith. Young in the faith, probably three and a half years old Christians. But they had to grow up fast. Now listen, we need to take courage from this. We as believers, we need to take note. We need to look at this picture. We need to understand their story. Because there's something here for us. They were just faithful. They were just faithful But what we see in this, in their faithfulness, the gospel works. It works in the worst of times. And they had the most powerful weapon. It's the same gospel that we have today. It's the same gospel. Same gospel. The only thing is they were just faithful. And they were courageous. They were bold. They, they were put out there to, with one weapon, and that's the gospel, and they were effective for Christ. And they stand with the Lamb. They stand with the Lamb. And they have a, a victory photo, actually, with the Lamb, if you want to call it that. They're standing with the Lamb. That's an amazing thing. They prevailed. Only one thing to do is proclaim the gospel. Folks, we are there. That is our job. We have one job to do. To stand. That's hard. But when we look at what can be done, what can be done, it should inspire us. It should rally us together and and be able to penetrate a world 
need of Christ. Let's look at the song just quickly. The song of the 144,000, verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven, chapter 14 and verse 2, and I heard a, a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. There's a couple of things here. Many waters is just a, a multitude of, of people, lots and lots of people. That loud thunder, it's a cacophony of, of sound. It's overwhelming. The voice which I heard was like that sound of harpists playing their harp. It was a, also a joyful sound. It was loud. It was a lot of people, but it was joyful. It was not the thunder of, of battle. It was joyful. It was joyful. What we see here is, is great victory, rejoicing in heaven. Rejoicing in heaven. This song started in chapter 5. And it started with the saints singing praises to the Lamb. And then the myriads of angels joined in in chapter 5 and verse 12. And then all of creation in verse 13 joined in this song of the redeemed. Then the tribulation martyrs. You see that in chapter 7 and verse 9. And now you see the 144,000. They're joining in this new song that is being sung. But their song is a little bit different. It's a little bit different because they've come through uh, the most unique of times. The most unique of, of battles, if you will. And it's a, new, a unique song. You say, why, why so much rejoicing? Why is their, theirs unique? The last three words of verse... Uh, let me read verse 3. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Now, that's what makes them unique. You say, well, what's that about? We're all purchased from the earth. Look, remember the, the earth here? We're talking... Uh, they were purchased from the earth. That is from among the earth dwellers. Remember that little phrase that we've been, uh, those who dwell on the earth, these earth dwellers, the, it's referring to the unsaved. They were pulled out. They were purchased from the earth, from among those unsaved, those earth dwellers. They belonged there. They were confined to this cursed earth. And which was being controlled by Satan. And they were locked in this world's system along with the demons from the abyss. They were enslaved to their own sinful lust. Ready to be on the, the slave block. Ready to be sold into slavery of the worship of the beast. And they were purchased. They were purchased. They were bought and paid for. How? By the blood of the Lamb. And they were turned into soldiers, useful for God's, for God's service. And they went and they rescued many, many. And I'm just reminded of, of Desmond. Just bringing one soldier at a time, one soldier to the edge of the cliff, lowering down on the rope. These, these 144,000, just one at a time probably, just saving as many as they could. And on top of that, they were made children of the king. They're standing with the king now, standing with the king of the earth. And so there's much celebration, right? I mean, that just makes sense. There's celebration. I mean, we, uh, in our house, man, we celebrate everything. We, uh, we try to, we try to, 
Every day, what can we celebrate today? And we usually celebrate with ice cream. So it's not a good thing to do necessarily. But the celebration is, it is good for us to celebrate. And we have to kind of look and, and, and try to uh, find some joy in our life. What can we celebrate today? Oh, this happened. This was a good thing. And so we kind of celebrate those things. Because victory is marked by joy. When you could see victories in your life, and you could see uh, little accomplishments in your day, there's, there's joy to be had there. And you look for those and you, you encourage yourself with those. And folks, they have a much to rejoice about. Now, their rejoicing is a reaction. I want you to notice that, just by way of application. Their rejoicing is a reaction. Now, remember in Luke chapter 15, Christ said, when uh, there's one sinner that repents from his sin, there's great rejoicing in heaven, there's a reaction. At that point in time, there's a reaction. And that's not manufactured, it's not of the flesh, it is a genuine thing, this reaction. And that's kind of what you see here. And they have much to celebrate because God has worked in their life and they have a great uh, victory here. So there's celebration. We can understand their celebration, can't we? But let me just remind you, folks, that we are also victors. And I want you to see this. I believe there's some verses upon the screen. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, I want you to be encouraged by these verses here. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 says this, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loves us. We are conquerors. You, you know what? That We are the same. We are the same as these. Now, now, it's not there yet, but we are conquerors. In fact, in verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is wonderful. There's no condemnation. We're conquerors in Christ. Another passage, another verse that I believe I have on the air is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, But thanks be to God. Now, this is a great verse. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. We go along as triumphant people in Christ. Now, here's the... Here's so good. And manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Everywhere we go, just the knowledge of Christ just exudes us and it becomes a, a sweet aroma. A sweet aroma of victory, of triumph in Christ. That's a wonderful picture. It's another passage. 1 John chapter 5. Turn over there, flip over there. Uh, just very quickly, you need, to, you need to know these verses. These verses are so encouraging. Chapter 5 and verse 4 says, For whoever or whatever is born of God overcomes the world. We're overcomers. And this is the victory which has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But him who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you are overcomers. You become an overcomer of the world. Why? Because Christ was. And that victory has already been won. Victory has already been won. In fact, uh, the, the last passage that you see there, Second Timothy, Paul says, I fought a good fight. I've, I've 
become a victor, he says. Now, here's the second thing. There's, there's great rejoicing in, in victory, right? But here's what we're looking at. And just for application of this, we're looking at facts on a page here. They are already celebrating because it's already done. We see that in the future. But we're just looking at facts on the page. What we have to do is we have to appropriate those facts to our lives. We have to understand that those are true things about us now. But we have to appropriate those things. And these are not just facts on a page. We have to live by faith, don't we? Faith in this word. Faith in this word. And it's a mental process. We have to think this thing through. It's not a reactionary joy. This is, this is an appropriated joy that's in our life. And we need to do that. And let me tell you, folks, you will have a defeated Christian life unless you do this. Unless you know the Word of God and apply these things to your understanding and see yourself as a victor in Christ. You have to understand that uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so I've placed myself in Christ. I see myself in Christ. There's no condemnation. And then everyone who is in Christ, because he is victorious, I am victorious. I take on His righteousness. I take on His resurrection, His new life. And He takes up on Himself all of my sins. And we are victorious in Christ. We have to appropriate that to our lives. And we need to actually do that. When those times that come when we struggle. And there's times, guys, I I struggle. And... What I have to do is go back to Scripture. And I have to rehearse these things. I'm a victorious Christian in Christ. My faith will overcome. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And then what happens? My soul is full of joy. Then the reaction comes. The reaction comes of of just celebration. Reaction comes of rejoicing in my own life. If I don't do that, folks, if you don't do that, we will live a defeated Christian life. We will miss what God has already done for us, but we have to appropriate it. Listen, so often we just learn a theology and it becomes facts on a page. And we've got the facts down, but we don't appropriate them to our own mind, to our own thinking. Are you a victorious Christian? Do you go around with the aroma of Christ, of triumph, of the knowledge of Christ in your life? We need to do that. They had a unique song. It is unique because they had come to the toughest part and they, they remained. They were purchased out of the earth. It's a wonderful picture for us. Look at the last little thing. And this is the character of the 144,000 in verse 4. Look at this. Then These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who have followed the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits. Firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouth, and they were blameless. Now, there's five characteristics here. I just want to go through them quickly. They were pure. Uh, they had not defiled themselves with women. The, the term here is that they were virgins. Now, it, it uh, can mean that they were celibate. These men were celibate. It doesn't have to mean that. I believe in the context here, 
that uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means that they were pure. They were solely focused upon the uh, cause of Christ and what they were to do for Christ. Now, in the context of the tribulation, you can understand that, why this is so important. Because the context of tribulation, demons had influence all over the world. There was complete disorder upon the earth. Demons were influencing. There was immorality was running rampant. There was no restraint. God's restraint had been taken off and man was just given full vent to his own sin. The influence of the church is not there. Now think about it. There's nobody there to, to tell them no. Nobody there to, to raise a conscience within them. The church has been taken out. And then God's judgment of just abandonment. And that is a judgment. God takes away His grace from their life. If God would do that to us, we would just run headlong right into sin. But God holds that back. His grace One commentary said, in the darkest hour, the saints shine forth. They are also loyal. They just follow Christ. Everywhere He goes, it's very simple. They just follow Him. It's fulfilling their commitment, fulfilling their vow, their obligation, their promise to this person. And Christ commanded us to do that in Mark chapter 16. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and John chapter 10, he said, my sheep will hear my voice. They're going to follow me. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he said, the one who abides in me, or the one who says that he abides in Christ ought to walk like Christ. Those, those are loyal. They were loyal to the point of even death, they would give up their life for Christ. They were purchased out. This means that they were in a special position here. They were first fruits in the Old Testament Israel. Israel would, uh, they would take their first fruits, the first crop, and they would give them as a sacrifice to the Lord and, and, the, and the crops of the harvest. And you say, well, how are they first fruits? Well, these are, these are the first group of Israelites. This is the body for the nation of Israel. God says, I will save the nation of Israel and, I will, and they will be righteous. And folks, he starts with these, this group. We see that in Romans chapter 11, the passage that was read for us. They're the core of the nation that will be entered, that will go right in, be ushered into the millennial kingdom. And they will repopulate that millennial kingdom for righteousness. Children will be born to them. Notice they are still on this earth. They haven't had that changed body yet. They will repopulate this millennial earth. There's no lie. They, they do not lie. The word lie here is a pseudo, it is a falsehood. They were not deceived by the false prophets and they did not propagate the lies of the false prophet. They continued to be faithful to the Lord. One commentary said they will um, accurately proclaim the word of God without wavering and they were blameless. They were blameless. They were above reproach, leading godly lives. Godly lives. And they gave their life as a sacrifice to God. And we would say their lives were, were blameless. They were flawless lives. They were, they were fit to, they were a fit offering to the Lord. They just, they just completely abandoned themselves to God. And God used them greatly. And they're in a position of prestige here. 
in a position of prestige. They were Christ-like is what we would say. They were authentic Christians. Now, my boys, I live in a house full of boys, and it seems to be ever-growing. There's more and more. If you have any boys, just send them to my house. They flourish there for some reason. Boys love to hear about special ops. They just do. Their ears perk up. The army rangers or the navy seals, these guys who are, who are just the, the cutting edge, they're the, the best of the best. They've gone through the toughest and toughest of training. My privilege when I was in seminary, there's this guy. He's just kind of a meek, mild kind of guy. And he would come back from the weekends. He said, Jeff, what in the world do you do? It comes out, well, he's special ops. He was a Navy SEAL. He had gone through and he told us all kinds of these stories. He would come back on the weekends. Actually, we would meet on Tuesdays. He would tell us these stories, these bizarre things. I mean, we were just meek, mild little people. And he would come out, yeah, I had to kill three people this weekend. And I had to do this, I had to do that. I'm thinking, oh, my word, what kind of life do you live? He was specially trained, specially trained for this kind of thing, special ops. He went through all the discipline that it took, all the discipline that it took to to become this. All these 144,000, all they did was they did all the things that the Christian was supposed to do. And they did it well. I mean, there's there's other Navy uh, military, right? But the Navy still, they're just a, a cut above. They just did everything. There was, they just disciplined themselves. That's the picture here. That's what they did. They did it well. One commentary said, It is not the great talent that God uses, that God blesses so much, as the, the great likeness to Jesus. They were just like Christ. They tried to be, they followed Christ wherever He went. They just, they just tried to be like Christ. And then present the gospel, the truth of the gospel. He goes on to say, a holy minister is an awful weapon in the hands of God. When we had listened to Jeff, this Navy SEAL, man, our ears would perk up. We would be inspired. We would want to discipline ourselves no matter what we were doing. And the boys, I mean, my boys, they know all the stuff that's required for a Navy SEAL and a Ranger and all these special ops. I, it pulls them in. It, it, it causes us to, to look and want to know their story. What goes on? What does it take to be that kind of, to be that kind of, we would say, Christian? What does it take? That's this passage, folks. We are to live disciplined lives. We are to live a disciplined life as a, as a, uh, a soldier. 2 Timothy chapter 2. As a farmer, a disciplined life and faith in God and disciplined life as a, a farmer and an athlete, we are to discipline ourselves for the sake of godliness. And then, and it's not through us, the Lord just blesses, blesses that. He just uses that. He just uses that gospel that we just throw out there. It's not our grace, our great life. No, we're just humble servants, bond servants of God, but He, He blesses. Folks, these are the special ops. These guys, these guys have done well. But this is a picture of what we can be. There's nothing that's holding us back from this right here. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this passage, for the encouragement of this. Lord, may we be those who rise to the occasion. May we discipline our lives. Um, May we rejoice, Lord, constantly because of what you have already done, the victories that we already have had in our lives, knowing that the great celebration is coming. Lord, we thank you for this this picture that we see, that it can be done in the worst of the worst times, Lord. You show yourself faithful. Your gospel shows itself to be the most powerful weapon that we can ever have. Still effective. Even when Satan is being worshipped in this world, when demons are running rampant, Lord, it's still the gospel. It's still a simple message that we proclaim. Lord, help us to have a life that is completely and wholly devoted unto you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I pray that you're encouraged today. Um, I hope that you are inspired to, to get into the fight and to discipline yourself, to be that soldier of the cross. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. Um, I'll be in the back and all of our elders or deacons, you can see them. Even throughout the week, we'd love to help you and you can stop by the church. We are blessed, huh? We are blessed. We just praise the Lord for His Word and allowing us to see the future. It's not just facts on a page. This is reality. This is reality. Tim, come here. Let's close as we lift our voices in praise to God. Praise God from whom?